to Twin Peeps. My name is Kyle. It's a podcast where typically me and my co-host with the co-most, Michael, talk about the show Twin Peaks. Uh, but this week is a is a strange week for both of us as far as uh, scheduling goes. So rather than having a gap week, because uh, consistency is king when it comes to podcasting, we decided to try something a little bit different. Um, rather than, yeah, rather than, uh, cause we couldn't really find a time that worked well for us to get together. Um, so instead what we're going to do is we're basically both going to Bill Burr it. If that means anything to anyone out there listening of our two billion listeners in that we're both essentially going to solo bolo uh, each half of this episode. Um, since I'm recording this introduction, I think I'm just going to go ahead and uh, take the first half. Also, since I don't believe that Mike is going to do a summary, and that obviously works better at the front, um, because Mike has made his opinions on my summaries known, and I don't think he likes them. So, for your benefit, my benefit, Mike's benefit... I guess he doesn't listen to these, so he's not even going to know. Uh, I think I'm just going to go first and then, uh, basically I'm going to run through my picks for the segments, try to be as entertaining as humanly possible as is possible for one human to do. And, uh, then I will check in with Mike, see what, uh, what his picks are for this week's episode. And this week's episode is season two, episode six, titled The Orchid's Curse. And I will forewarn you right now, I don't really like this episode. So let's, uh, let's give it a listen here. Okay, to start off, we've got the summary. And here I go. Cooper discovers Audrey's letter. No one remembers Robertson at the lake house. Lucy goes to Tacoma. Shelly and Bobby shop for Leo. Leland pleads not guilty and is granted bail. Donna strikes a bargain with Harold Smith. Leo's competency is debated at the roadhouse, and Shelly has second thoughts. Ed's rolling with Nadine's super strong punches. Mr. Tajimura meets with Ben Horn about the Ghostwood Estates. Jean Renault calls Ben and Coop. Donna and Maddie plan their heist. Jean and Blackie prep for the trade, and Jean reveals his uh, treachery. Andy's a whole damn town. Hawk finds the one-armed man and his medicine. Coop and Harry embark for Jax. Maddie lies to James. Donna recounts an awkward sexual tale to Harold. Coop and Harry infiltrate one-eyed Jax. Harold teaches Donna orchid horticulture. Cooper reunites with Audrey. Jean Renault plays some Assassin's Creed with Blackie. Hawk comes to the rescue, and Donna and Maddie get caught. So... That is the summary for this episode. It's a, uh, uh, oh boy, guys, it's a strange one this week. It really is. It's, uh, I guess it kind of advances some plots. You know, we get the, um, really, I think what these past couple of episodes really seem to be doing is they're, they're not making as much headway as the season one episodes do um which i don't blame them it, it's a <laughs> decidedly longer episode run this time around like i think at least three times as many episodes this season than there were in season one so i could easily see it if they just don't really know how to fill in the time so they kind of feel like they have to pad it but really it's just like a slow trickle of facts coming in that kind of color each uh, each thread, I suppose, but it doesn't really advance any one of them to a satisfying degree. Um, except for, I guess, Audrey. Audrey's a big one, but as we've discussed, God, that entire plot is not great. Really uninteresting, could have been entirely avoided. Um, I think there are quicker and easier ways to introduce John and to get rid of Blackie. Uh, you don't need to have Audrey being held captive and like constantly drugged. It almost seems like David Lynch was trying to recapture some of the uh, 
blue velvet magic or something, but he had to tone it down for network television. So all we get is just Audrey getting drugged. Whereas if it were one of his films, he'd go much, much further. And I think to a much greater effect, but alas, it's ABC. Can't really do much. Um, but yeah, so I guess, yeah, Audrey's rescued. That's good. Um, uh, Shelly and Bobby are going through with the whole Leo insurance scam thing. I mean, Shelly's having second thoughts, but again, that's not really anything new. Uh, yeah, Donna makes more headway with the diary for Harold. But really the only thing that happens with that is that Harold catches them. And we are left with a cliffhanger at the end of the episode, but we'll get into that later. Um, yeah, just God, not not a whole lot of interesting stuff. I I'll be really curious to listen back to this and hear Mike's take on it because again, this is <laughs> this is my uh, like fourth time through. I'm pretty sure I've said any number of uh, times by now how many times i've actually watched this show i think i've said three times five times it could be 10 times for all i remember i i honestly don't know i I lose track of large gaps of time a lot except i don't anywho uh, that i guess that's my summary uh i'm gonna go on to weirdest scene now because that's how this show works um now, my weirdest scene is going to be, like I often do, I kind of fudge <laughs> fudge these, but um, Donna and Harold's interactions, just all of them are objectively weird. But, um, yeah. Yeah. It, especially the earlier ones. The earlier ones struck me as, uh, as particularly odd. Like... Um, Harold's bargaining with Donna about her telling him his life story in exchange for uh, Laura's diary, and not even Laura's diary, but reading from Laura's diary. Um, that's that's just strange, but it, I suppose that could be chalked up to Harold's eccentricities. What really can't be chalked up to Harold's eccentricities is his reaction to sunlight. <laughs> um, it, for a botanist, for a gardener such as him, it's almost ironic. Uh, I mean, obviously he's using artificial light as he's growing his organs, but um, yeah, the fact that he reacts so, uh, I guess violently, he really violently starts shaking when he walks outside as Donna's kind of trying to test his boundaries. And um, I'd be curious to see how other people read this scene. Cause when I watched it, I couldn't decide if Donna was, cause obviously her, her end goal is Laura's diary after she finds out that it exists, right? She wants to read it. She wants to possibly hand it over to the police to help out in their investigation. She kind of wants to be, done with all of this and here's this guy who has this thing that she wants and she doesn't really see the reason why she can't have it especially in light of Laura's death so is it when she's taking it out is it a test of Harold's resolve like is it, it is it as I framed it earlier a test of his boundaries or is it more, or is it also, I suppose it could be uh, simultaneous, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, is it also Donna attempting to cure him? Because I think a lot of people will get into that mindset when they encounter someone of some sort of mental instability, as Harold is uh, undoubtedly. Whether it's agoraphobia or some other... Uh, I, I, the only word I'm coming up with is, is psychosis, but that's not correct. Um, for someone who's unversed in psychology, I feel like that's a, a natural reaction in order to, 
especially when it comes to a phobia like that, um, the natural reaction is to say, oh, but I can, <laughs> I can, uh, I can fix them. All they need to do is uh, some basic exposure therapy and they'll know that whatever it is they're afraid of isn't actually anything to be afraid of. And as someone who has a, a phobia of uh, amusement park rides and who has attempted exposure therapy, I can personally guarantee that that does not work often. Um, maybe if it's like a low grade phobia for someone and you do it and it works fine, great. Um, but, uh, speaking personally as someone who, uh, attempted to jump out of a log flume when they were two years old, uh, that it doesn't really work often. And, uh, for someone like Harold, who seems to have a phobia of the outside to a greater extent than I have a phobia of, uh, amusement park rides, uh, that's yeah, clearly it was just a doomed, <laughs> doomed endeavor. Um, but again, it could have just been Donna trying to see if she could smuggle it out or, um, yeah, who knows? Anyway, tangent aside, going on to weirdest character. I have Harold again, uh, not to double dip with last week, but God damn it. He's a weird guy. Um, for basically the, <laughs> the exact same reason as uh, why that previous scene is the weirdest scene. It's mostly his reaction. That reaction to the sun has no... I, I just don't get it. Like, maybe someone with a, a psychology degree might be able to tell me whether or not that's an actual uh, phenomenon that happens to people with phobias. Uh, I know there's like psychosomatic pain and whatnot because clearly his skin, if we were operating in the real world, not a David Lynch, Twin Peaks fantasy world, his skin wouldn't have that reaction to light, right? His muscles wouldn't start to convulse just by virtue of light touching it. But that's almost what seems to happen. It's not so much like he's mentally fabricating it so much as it seems like he knows that this is what his body involuntarily does on its own. When Donna, you know, steps outside and is like, Hey, do you want to like, let's read it out here. And Harold's like, give me it back. Give me it back. Give me it back. But he doesn't want to step out into the sun. It doesn't seem like, Oh, because I have to start running this process where I, kind of psychologically trick myself in order to be in order to freak out in the sunlight. It's almost like, no, I know what happens to me when I go out there, but I need this diary back. So I'm going to do it. And he goes out there and he is basically assaulted by the sun. Um, then again, maybe if it is psychosomatic, like maybe if it is, uh, akin to uh, an actual, observed phenomenon maybe that's maybe the two are indistinguishable you know maybe the uh the phobia kicks in too quickly and it's basically one-to-one -one as far as uh when they basically start to trick themselves and when their body starts to react to that trickery i don't know i'm severely blowing smoke out of my ass here which means i should probably move on to the next segment uh, bad or David Lynch? Bad or David Lynch? This episode, man. This episode, I think, had most attempts at comedy in this show <laughs> seem to be prime contenders for Bad or David Lynch. Whether it's the writing of the scene or how actors act it, um, man, yeah, whenever they try to go for gags, it is something else. Not quite sure if it's bad, not quite sure if it's a directorial decision from David Lynch that really makes the, uh, show better, but the equipment salesman for Leo in this episode, I, I think his name was Mr. Pinkle. That's the name I wrote down here. Uh, the show tries so hard 
to make him the worst person. Um, like he's just playing right into the stereotype of the incompetent salesman. And there are the physical gags that happen, you know, when he, when he gets himself stuck in the crane and Bobby and Shelly <laughs> leave. I mean, I did. Okay. I did like when Bobby and Shelly left. That was, that was kind of funny, but man, that those physical bits, I, I can, I'd, I'd never go so far as to say that they're great. Even if they are, <laughs> even if they are directorial decisions from David Lynch that tie into the uh, ethos of the show, I'm not using that right. But um, I, I want to read you a quote. Uh, I believe it's the direct quote um, from Mr. Pinkle, just to kind of illustrate my point. Uh, when the machine, so Bobby's sitting in the machine, and the machine starts to malfunction. Yeah, Bobby freaks out, understandably, because it's, you know, he's sitting in this machine that is physically moving him. And Mr. Pingle goes to the machine and he's remarking, quote, sometimes you got to be tough with these things, i.e. the machine. You got to hit it hard. This machine is like a woman, we always say, at the machine shop, end quote. Great. Great work, Mr. Pingle. Oh my God, you're the worst. You deserve all of the physical bits that you have to act through, even though that's a fictional character and the actor himself, I'm sure, is a fine guy. Oh man. Oh man. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I can't really say much more about that. The other thing I do want to mention here is... Uh, Andy's, I, I mentioned a couple episodes uh, ago that in season two, we're going to hear a lot of sentences that contain both Andy and goddamn. And here's one of them. Andy's goddamn inability to comprehend human speech when he's speaking on the phone with the doctor. Just infuriating. We, we've gone over how he's, it, his IQ has been halved since season one somehow for some inexplicable reason i'm almost positive it's a network note but that may be <laughs> that may just be wishful thinking anywho we that's well-trodden territory i'm gonna go on to worse police work um uh, what i guess it's not really worse police work it really comes down more to uh weird judicial happenings again this week for me but Sheriff Truman speaking on behalf of Leland Palmer in his uh, bail hearing. It seems to me like he really should be on the prosecutor's side. Isn't that how things go? Usually, you know, the, the police officer arrests someone, right? And then someone who's murdered someone else and it's pretty clear i think at this point that he's murdered someone else uh, obviously the viewers know that he did but he's so they bring him in they're the ones to bring this guy in they know he's capable of murder they know he's not in a great psychological state after the death of his daughter and sheriff Truman does bring up the points, the very valid points that, you know, no one can really understand what, what it's like to lose a daughter. Uh, Leland Palmer is a pillar in the community, but he just murdered a guy. Even if it turned out that he hadn't, they brought him in for murder. The police really should, uh, they really should be on the side of the prosecution in terms of keeping him in jail until the trial. I just don't get it. I've never seen, <laughs> I've never seen a law and order SVU episode in which the detectives willingly speak on behalf of the defendant. It's always the defense brings up 
like they always call them as a, a witness or something like that. Right. It's never, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to offer, I'm going to vouch for this person. Maybe if it's a detective who's vouching for like a family member who's involved in a crime or something like that. Like, I don't remember the episode when uh, Stapler's daughter gets a DUI or whatever it was. Um, he might've spoken on her behalf, but he's not the arresting officer. Sheriff Truman <laughs> is the arresting officer in this case. Like if some deputy we never heard of who had a connection with Leland wanted to come up and be like, yeah, he's a pillar of the community. Blah, 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 blah. Totally fine. Sheriff Truman should not be the one to do that. Uh, God, I don't, I don't even know anymore. This show, they should have brought on at least some sort of consultant. Like I, I know back in season one, I didn't remark that the show, it dips its toes into the American legal system somewhat. It frames a lot of its action around that. And every now and then it gets things right. But man, it really plays fast and loose with the, uh, with the particulars. And I think, as I've said before, it really seems to play into a viewer's sense of justice, not necessarily a, uh, an objective system of justice. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of nepotism. There's a lot of, uh, playing to the viewer's sympathies, even if those are sympathies wouldn't be known to the characters themselves. I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling here. Uh, gonna skip the mystery bit because, uh, Mike always has those. And I'm not Mike, and he's not here. So that's not going to happen on my half. He might have something planned in his half. So uh, stay tuned for that. I'm sure it's going to be great. Best music cue, also going to skip it. I don't think there was a single new music cue in this episode. Uh, again, we've kind of been lucky these past couple of episodes that there have been new music cues. I'm really surprised that this bit is still going. I would have thought we would have canned it in like episode five of season one but here we are and i'm not complaining time to go into favorite character um this is a weird one <laughs> I, I, not that it isn't often but it's weird in light of what all i've said thus far because I think my favorite character in this episode, and this might be also because of the knowledge I have of what's going to happen in the future. Um, the favorite character I have is actually Harold, the crazy guy who is really strange. And yeah, it's, uh, he's, <laughs> I think it's it's a similar thing to Donna, what I had a couple couple of apps ago, where it's certainly not. Oh, I, I should back up. Cooper was not my favorite character of this episode. Uh, obviously, um, doesn't really have doesn't have a lot of Cooper moments. He has some stuff to do. Finally, you know the whole rescuing Audrey business, but. Um, yeah, he just doesn't have any quintessential coop moments this ep. But um yeah, and I was also contemplating Hawk, but he's just not in it enough. Even though the, the whole rescuing thing at the end was pretty cool and I I've got some things to mention about that later on. Um Yeah, it comes down to Harold. He's as I wrote down in my notes, he's he's probably the most sympathetic character of this episode. Um, even though he's suffering from, I'm sure multiple phobias at this point. Um, you really just kind of feel for the guy. He may, maybe it's the, uh, the soft eyes and facial expression and whatnot that just elicits sympathy inherently, but he's also not out to, he doesn't really seem to have much of an agenda outside of his phobias and outside of his, um, maybe, maybe it's like an obsessive compulsion 
regarding like Laura's diary, let's say, to never leave the house. Um, that's probably overreductive and a misdiagnosis, but eh, whatever. I'm just going to stop trying to frame whatever it is he has. But uh, it'd be, yeah, because it, it's clearly beyond a simple agoraphobia, especially with the sunlight business and uh, his desire to hold on to Laura's diary. Because um, you could do that. Like you could be agoraphobic without <laughs> needing to have a, a very specific personal belonging stay within your house as well. But um, so yeah, he, he's he's very sympathetic in that he doesn't really seem to wish anyone harm. Um, he seems to have fairly reasonable conditions for Donna. Um, like he offers to read to Donna the contents of Laura's diary in exchange for her just talking to him, you know, it sure. If it would be, it would be much easier and probably more logical if you were to just comply with Donna's request to help her with this investigation of someone who's been murdered. Um, but given his mental complications, let's call them the conditions that he sets forth yeah, they're very reasonable. And Donna just kind of like spits in his face about it. <laughs> like, it's not enough for her to be told the information that's in, his, in that diary. And Harold has no reason to lie to her about it. You know, especially not after the date last episode where he gets into some racy stuff. And after Donna's recitation of a racy memory of hers here they have a pretty uh <laughs> they have a pretty explicit uh understanding of well Harold has a more explicit understanding of Donna now and uh, yeah it it's it really doesn't seem like he's the type who would omit things or revise things in this diary he just doesn't want it to leave the house and Donna just can't have that apparently for some goddamn reason really also the fact that she just didn't go straight to the police with that information uh after last week you know once she once she discovers the secret diary right she could easily go to the cops and be like hey do you know this guy harold smith up here on my meals on wheels route meals on wheels route whatever it's called yeah he has Laura, uh, another diary of Laura Palmer's that really might be able to help out with this investigation. You know, she was, <laughs> it was discovered that she was, uh, raped, I suppose, um, multiple times on the night of her death. And she is speaking of some very sexually explicit content in her diary that could very well be relevant in the murder case. So take the pressure off of her convincing Harold to get this diary and just put it on the police because <laughs> the police have legal authority to take that in as evidence. But even then, seeing as how Cooper's leading this investigation, he would probably also totally be fine with Harold reading him the diary, assuming he doesn't pull one of his season two dickish moments and then just like straight swipes it under his nose because Cooper's kind of a dick now, apparently. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's he, he's just Harold is just kind of a tragic figure in this episode. Like he has this world that he's devised for himself in his house that's neat and orderly, and everything has its place. Uh, he has his hobbies, which, you know, like the chronicling of the living history of people and the um, orchid growing. It's uh, a better way to phrase that. And here Donna comes in. And back in the day when Laura was still alive, you know, she it was fine. It was fine for both of them. She came by, they spoke. Uh it seems like Harold kind of acted like a um, uh, 
something of a psychologist for her, even though I'm guessing he didn't uh, actually give any diagnoses. And here's this new girl coming in and saying, no, all of this, this world that you've created for yourself that is, while not quote unquote healthy by traditional human standards, it's not enough. It's not sufficient. It's not sufficient for you. It's not sufficient for me. So I'm going to try to change it. First, I'm going to try to invite you to change it with me by, you know, snatching the diary and coming outside with it. But then realizing that that's not going to work for him, she takes it upon himself to forcibly change it, to forcibly remove him from this space of comfort that wasn't harming anyone except for himself and only really started to inconvenience Donna. And so by the, by the end of the episode, it's weird when he grabs a hold of Donna and Maddie and he grabs the, uh, oof, what is it, the trowel? I'm, I don't know, gardening things, guys. Uh, it's like that three-pronged or two-pronged thing that you use to like dig up dirt, but not actually dig. Ah, God, I don't know. I literally don't know anything about anything. Um, but he grabs that and it's almost implied that he's going to attack them with it. Like Maddie's screaming her head off and Donna's crying and... But he doesn't attack them. He like he drag like scrapes off the skin of his face using this implement. Like it's almost as if he's showing Donna, because he doesn't give a shit about Maddie. Like that's just not a thing. He's just showing Donna how her betrayal how her betrayal has hurt him it almost doesn't even feel like how the actor plays it. It doesn't feel like Leo Johnson. Let's say if Leo was in a, a similar situation, he'd be swinging that thing at Donna, or I guess it'd probably be Shelly. He'd be swinging that thing at Shelly in a second. You know, he'd say something threatening and be like, yeah, no, you shouldn't have gone through my thing, Shelly. Now you're going to get slashed. And then he'd go about slashing. Whereas with Harold, I, I didn't get the sense that he was going to go after them, you know, not, not in any sort of like murderous way. He might go after them to like physically arrest them in the way that like, you know, if you're angry, you just want to like stop some, someone, but you're not like out to actually like physically harm them. But you want to like stop them and like say, why did you do this? You know, that's basically where, where we're at, the um, the episode, the cliffhanger. He's talking to Donna and Maddie, like, why did you do this? And he drags it across his face, almost as if to say, can't you see what this has done to me? You've disrupted the space that I have for myself all for what? A, a secret, some secret about Laura Palmer? Um and actually, he he mentions something specific. He calls it the ultimate secret, which is apparently knowing who killed you. That's the ultimate secret, according to Harold, which is a weird line. I don't I don't really like that line. But everything up until that point, it's just it's just kind of sad, you know. I don't know. I I'm probably reading way too much into that, but. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Harold my uh my favorite character. Oh man, favorite scene time. One eyed jacks. Let's do it. Uh the one eyed jacks infiltration scenes. Um I'm kinda trying to put myself in the uh, the shoes of a first time watcher with this, even though the fighting is still very clunky. Um there is something kind of thrilling about that. Uh just, you know, always a sucker for a good infiltration scene. Um but uh yeah it, like hawk's rescue is the highlight of it clearly <laughs> um you know the stuff with jean and blackie and even the stuff with audrey it's good to see that that plot line is over because it was not interesting um 
like the one interesting part of that plot line is her almost running into Ben, but she didn't need to be kept there for freaking what? Six episodes. Jesus. She could have gotten out at the end of episode one in this season and it would have had basically the same effect. But yeah, all, all the stuff with John and Blackie and all that, like, I still kind of don't really get why he killed Blackie. Like maybe to clear up a business partner to net some more profits, I suppose. Um, but there are, there are cleaner ways to do that. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, when Hawk comes in, you know, they, um, there's a guard that they didn't account for that's blocking their exit. Uh, one eye Jack's guard. And so Harry with Cooper and Audrey are basically shuffled at gunpoint to like turn around and, you know, go back when Hawk comes in from the exit essentially and like knocks him out. And it's great. It's such a good moment. He's in plain clothes, you know, he clearly just came on his own recognizance. And what's great is the show doesn't always do right by him uh, with regards to his uh, Native American heritage. Uh, the fact that he's a quote-unquote expert tracker still just bugs me. God damn it. I know it was the 90s, but man, not great. But that's not the reason why he finds them this time. Like maybe it, I guess, technically factored into it. But the reason why, the reason that he cites <laughs> there is... Uh, it's because he's friends with Cooper and Truman. It's because they've been working together for a while now. And uh, the only thing he says there is, uh, you're lucky you guys can't keep a secret. It's like, oh, that's really great, man. He's kind of, he's part of the crew. And it's just a really uh, affirming moment. And then they all escape together with Audrey. And yeah, we're finally done with that. Now we get to, I guess, deal with the aftermath for a bit. But the aftermath is at least going to allow Audrey to start doing things and not just be drugged out of her mind the entire time. Um, which is always, always great. A uh, couple of other things, I suppose, because that's really it I have for bits. Um, that's all I've got for bits here. One thing I want to mention <laughs> at the at the kind of beginning of the uh, episode, Cooper is talking to um, uh, Diane on his tape recorder, and he talks about getting over his pain through <laughs> basically sheer force of mental will. Uh, like, I it really seems like David Lynch is almost like a Scientologist in his distrust of. Uh, psychology and psychiatry like the fact that cooper can mentally i think he uses the adjective yogic so i suppose the adverb would be yogically uh get over his physical pain is ludicrous <laughs> that's just not something that people can humanly do but in david lynch's like zen ideal Ubermensch, that is Dale Cooper, he can totally do it. He can just will himself through the pain. It's almost as if Tom Cruise wrote that. You just sub in yoga for Dianetics, I guess. I don't know. Um, but moving on, uh, <laughs> when Lucy's about to go to Tacoma and <laughs> she's talking to Sheriff Truman, I like that. It's a cute cute scene for Lucy. She, she's really worried about the sheriff department falling apart without her. Um, even though she's basically just explaining how to work the phones correctly and all this stuff that is, you know, comically self-evident. Um, one thing that's odd is, uh, Andy's drawing in the courtroom is really good. Um, so I, I guess I don't get what the show's trying to imply about him. Like, is he a savant now or something? Because, uh, yeah, like, even, <laughs> you know, to a comic effect, I suppose, uh, Harry does chime in and say, you know, maybe maybe the next drawing 
it's looking good, Andy, but maybe the next one show a little bit more of Leland's face. And it's like, yeah, it's a good note, but still, that's a really good picture of like <laughs> the kind of back of a guy's head. I don't know. It, it doesn't really amount for much, but I guess it, especially in season two, we got to take our instances of Andy being competent at something and run with them for as long as we can get as much mileage as we possibly can out of that one drawing. Um, although speaking of the, the courtroom, uh, it's interesting to note that the courtroom is just the roadhouse repurposed. Thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and then the judge is talking to Cooper at the bar. The judge also just has a drink before <laughs> giving his sentence, which I suppose should go in my uh, worst police work. But he mentions the woods to Cooper. Like he has some sort of feeling about the woods and them being strange and to keep an eye out on it. I don't know. Um the fact that Jean Renault has literally, he literally has the weapon from Assassin's Creed 2 on his wrist is l ridiculous. I don't know if it's a French Canadian thing because I'm pretty sure that was developed by uh, Ubisoft Montreal. God, I'm a nerd. But they really seem to like their arm blades. I don't know. It's just weird. Why couldn't he just have a normal knife? Eh. And yeah, back to also back to Cooper being kind of a dick now. Um, he's in Audrey's room in one eyed Jack's, like he reaches Audrey's room and he tells Blackie's sister, like Blackie's sister is like, Hey, they're making me do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he just immediately cuts her off and says, shut up. He has no credible reason to suspect that she's lying outside of, you know, him being a super cop. In his defense, he is proven to be right because she does try to stab him pretty much immediately after that. But ah, I don't know. It just seems very out of character for Cooper. Like he could just like give a finger to shush or like a shh to shush. But no, he tells her to straight up shut up. It's really weird. I don't know. Well, that's really all I have for notes and uh, bits. And this has gone on for a long, <laughs> long time. I was really worried I was going to be uh, uh, pressed for time, but I am not. So, great. Um, this will be good for if Mike turns in another five-minute segment. Uh, we'll actually have a full episode this time, but yeah, uh, I thank you guys for putting up with this. I hope it was at least somewhat entertaining to not actually have a dialogue and more of uh, two monologues here. Um, and yeah, uh, stay tuned for Mike's, uh, Mike's opinions on this episode. I think it'll be interesting to hear his first timer opinions and, uh, yeah, I will see you next week. Peep on twinning and I'll, Send it over to Mike. Later. Ooh, recording. Check. Test. Fantastic. Hey. Um, ugh, feels so weird doing a solo episode like this. I'm very self-conscious, so it's probably going to be stilted at least, but we'll see. Um, yeah, so welcome to... Or, I probably want to do an intro thing. It's tough to do without both of us talking. Um, hmm. Well, I can just start talking. Yeah, so I uh, I smoked a cigarette last night, um, and I'm such a wimp about it. And smoking a cigarette has just, like, destroyed my mouth. I'm probably just being a wimp, but it's pretty terrible. Um, so if I'm coughing and just being, like, noisy... Um, I apologize, um, but I guess, hey, welcome to Twin Peeps. Um, oh, my energy is so low without having you to talk to, Kyle. This is, uh, I hope this is decent quality. Um, oh, I take out me apologizing. That's not cool. 
Anyways, um, welcome to Twin Peeps. Uh, I'm your co-host, Michael. Um, and uh, we talk about the show Twin Peaks. We're talking about Season 2, Episode 5, I believe. Um, pretty sure it's Episode 5. Um, but I guess just let's get into it. I haven't even decided who... Um, I really wish I could actually talk about this episode because so much happened. I have a lot of notes. Um, but I guess let's get into it. I'm Kyle's gonna do the short summary. So am I? Am I like leading the introductions through this, or um, I guess I can. You said you recorded 40 minutes, so I guess you probably have the introduction to the segments. I'll just do it again. Can't hurt to have it as well. Um, so do your short summary. So do that. Um, should we talk about why just one of us is? Why we're doing this separately, just because the schedules are weird. I'm sure you talk about that. Anyways, um, you do your short summary, boom. Um, on to weirdest character. Um, hmm, who's, who should I go with this way? Um, I guess I think I got to give it to Nadine. Um, she's back. Um, very soap opera um, vibe we're getting from her. Uh, she thinks she's in high school still. Um, kind of recognized James, which was nice, uh, considering he's her aunt. Um, but, um, yeah, that was a, uh, she also has superhuman strength now. We've already seen her break through restraints, and it looks like she just ripped the door of the fridge off, or, like, the door of the freezer. Um, so, I don't know. Very weird. She has superhuman strength, and has think she's in high school. So that's very weird. Um, on a weirdest scene, I'm guessing we can agree on this. Um, but the weirdest scene for me is, it's, well, I, I'm going to go with both of them, um, but there's two different court scenes, um, and <laughs> they both take place in the roundhouse. They're in a bar. Um which was a very slow reveal for me. I, maybe there was an establishing shot, but I missed it. Um, but I was thinking to myself, why are there a bunch of neon bar signs in the back of a courtroom? And then over the course of the episode, we realize that they hold court in the bar. We see um, Mr. Horn drinking beer and eating peanuts while the trial for his lawyer is happening, uh, a murder. Um... And later on, when I'm sure you're talking about the exact same thing for weird scene, this is such a weird, funny idea. Um, when the judge uh, is deliberating the insurance or deciding if um, what's his face, uh, Leo Johnson is guilty, the judge has a drink at a bar, <laughs> and he's just like. Is hanging out. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, so that's got to go uh, for weirdest scene. Uh, hmm. Bad or David Lynch? Um, uh, there was more. There was a lot of uh, Andy being retarded. Or, uh, change that. I don't want to say retarded. Andy being extremely dumb. That made me just sad. That they think it's. It's not funny to have someone who's just inept at stuff. Um, it's just annoying. Uh, so, um, yeah, Andy having a hard time uh, with post-it notes just really made me sad. Oh, it's so stupid. And him trying to sound out words and the lady on the phone being, like, supportive of him sounding out words. It, oh, I was not a fan. Um um, but I don't even think it's my battery of lunch. It's that's it's not battery of lunch. That's just a bad decision. Um, uh, mm, what is what should I go with battery of lunch for? Um, uh, ooh, you know what? Let's go with uh, Donna talking to the hermit guy. I don't even remember the hermit guy's name. Um, but so much of that stuff was just so awkward. Um, she tells that like. Obviously, it's supposed to be like a sexy story of her being like 
off with Laura, and they were with boys, and they're kissing them, and talking about how tight their sweaters were and stuff like that. It made me feel very uncomfortable. It was very creepy. Um, not a fan of that. Um, so I think I'll go with that scene um, of him just like really enjoying this high school girl talking about her sexy situation she was in. Oh, it's gross. I was not a fan. Um, where's police work? Um, there, I mean, there was bad police work in this episode with uh, Coop. Uh, no, not Coop. With Hawk. Uh, just randomly searching the hotel that the one-armed man was at. Um, not even, no talk about getting, like, uh, you know, permission to check the room. Or maybe he did. Maybe he could just ask the hotel owner. But I think he'd probably need a search warrant or something. They literally just let him in, and he was, like, snooping around. Um, that's bad police work, but bad justice system, I guess, of just how awkward it is having court in a bar. Man, that's, that's such a great decision. I'm really glad they made that. Um, best music cue. I noticed there was a new scene for the Hermit guy. I can't believe I don't remember the Hermit guy's name. I, sh- I should look it up. Um, but he has his own little theme that's very similar to like, Laura's theme. Um, but I don't like that. That was interesting. Um, I don't know. You're, you're the music guy. I'm sure you can say something about it, Kyle. Uh, what do we got? Uh, favorite character? Hmm. Was it Coop this episode? I'm gonna say no. Um, I mean, I, honestly, there I I didn't have any characters that I was like crazy about in this episode, so it might be Coop. Um, just because I can't think of anyone else better. But I don't think this was a strong character episode. Just so much plot stuff was happening. Um, but the opening scene of Coop hanging out, uh, doing some yoga. Uh, doing a headstand, um, talking to Diane, great stuff. Classic Coop. I think I might give it to him just on that scene. Um, it was also kind of weird for me that he was like hanging out at the courtroom slash bar um, very casually for this Leo Johnson case. When they know that Audrey Horn is kidnapped, shouldn't that be like a very high priority for them to go get back this kidnapped person um, and like bring in the whole police squad? They know where she is. Why not just do a raid on it? Speaking of which, um, um, I can't really do a mystery bit this week. It's, I can't do that with just myself. But um, this episode really reminded me again about how I'm, season two of True Detective is has so many parallels with this, um, with uh, Twin Peaks. Um, and I was really reminded of it when they rescue... Um, Audrey today. Oh, I'm so glad she's rescued. Um, but that scene of them going into like a pro- uh, prostitution den place and um, rescuing her reminded me so much of literally um, that extremely similar scene in True Detective where they break into a brothel to get information, but just like the sexy stuff going on in the background and. Um, it really, really reminded me a lot. That must have been an homage from True Detective. Um, It could not be uh, uh, just chance. Um, What do I got? Favorite scene. Um, I really like... I don't know if I should do the uh, courtroom stuff. I really like the courtroom stuff. Um, That was good. Um... Yeah, I think I think I would have to go with the courtroom stuff. I know I I put it as weirdest scene, but um, it's hilarious to me. It may, I was like giggling the whole time I saw them do that. Um, I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I could talk about it more. Um, uh, I'm just gonna read through other random stuff in this episode. Maybe you could put this into like the mystery segment bit. Um, Hawk has a thing where he talks about how he did drink like three pots of tea and he really needs to pee as a result. That was a really dumb joke. I didn't like that. Um, oh, oh, another better David Lynch. No, it's not even just, it's just bad. It's not David Lynch. It's just bad. But the guy from the um, handicap accessible place uh, setting up the the like 
swing thing for Leo to use. Um, getting like pushed around the room in a swing. Oh, just such a dumb joke. I was not a fan. Um, they also do the joke of Andy drawing on the back, drawing, being the courtroom dra- dramatist, you know, taking the picture and just doing the back of the guy's head. He's a good artist. I was impressed. Um, I know that jo- I understand the joke they were going for. I just, I, I, I don't like the Andy's stupid jokes. I don't like the joke being Andy's dumb. But that joke was kind of funny. It was okay. Not a big fan of it, though. Um, <laughs> Jacoby is in Hawaii. We've, 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 we now know that he's currently in Hawaii, which is great. I'm so glad he's in uh, Hawaii. Um, there's all the talk about ransom stuff in this episode. Um, it was really boring to me. I was not a fan. Um, it was boring. Um, uh, oh, so it, a cool thing in this episode was they had like the two uh, very concurrent plots of breaking into a two people planning to break into a thing to like and like having a detailed plan. They both actually even had maps, and I thought it was adorable that uh, Donna and Maddie had a sketch of what it, the inside of the room looked like. And it was. <laughs> It was a very boring sketch. It really it tried to make it seem like a heist movie, and it was not. Uh, Renault has a Wolverine claw thing that he uses on Blackie. Uh, it seemed very unnecessary and dumb. Also, Renault flirting with one of the prostitutes and then kissing her was just a very awkward scene. Um, yeah, they're not French Canadians are not portrayed well in the show. Um, I didn't understand. Andy had that conversation with the nurse. And I just didn't understand what they were, what they meant. Does it mean that he's now cured? That it could, the baby could be his? Um, I was confused. I didn't understand what they meant. Um, so whatever. Uh, Donna tells that creepy story. Um, Truman knocked out a guard in a very awkward way, where it seemed like he grabbed him by the balls, but I'm guessing he punched him in the stomach, and then put a like a like a, a racquetball in his mouth <laughs> and pushed him through the door. That was that was weird. Um, um, Coop, when he rescues Audrey, uh, does he kiss her? I don't know if he kisses her. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, the lady, the prostitute lady tries to stab Coop and he catches her arm. She just senses it, I guess. And then he just punches it. He just wails it right in the stomach, which I, I don't know. The show gets very dark, punching women and they didn't, there's like an abortion subplot going on right now. It's very dark. Um, what else? The gunfight that Truman had with uh, Renault was extremely quiet. Um, they're very quiet guns in the show. Um, and they were saved by Hawk at the last minute. Um, uh, oh, and, and then Maddie and um, Donna's heist plan to steal the diary was so dumb. Honestly, all the stuff going on with Donna right now, I'm not into. Like, the her, like taking the diary and then walking outside with it and, like, teasing this poor agoraphobic guy. That was very awkward. Um, and then at the end, he's all, like, upset, obviously, because they were trying to break into his house, and very poorly. It, it was... The, it could, they have not gotten it. There's no way they could have gotten away with that. Um, and he, like, scrapes the garden tool. I don't know what that is, but the little tiny rake thing across his face. And it's supposed to be that he's scratching his face or cutting his face, but it's very obvious that they just put red paint on the actual trough or whatever it's called, and he's smearing it on his face. Um, it did not look scary at all. It was very silly. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, those are all my thoughts. This is I probably I know Kyle talked like twice as long as I did, but it's about quality, not quantity. Um, so I guess peep on twinning. Oh, dude, this is going to be so hard to edit. I feel bad for you. This is going to be tough. Uh, peep on twinning. Uh, see you next week, and uh, we'll close out with David Lynch um, telling us about his favorite heist movie. Uh, bye. All right, bye.